for the strawberries and hazelnuts that grew wild along the grassy knolls. More than likely, he could identify each species of bird, even in flight, and the different animals that had left paw tracks in the soft earth. But his knowledge came from pictures and books, while hers came from observation and years of folklore. She'd spent her childhood exploring the rolling hills and black forests that surrounded their hometown of Hessenthal. She was familiar with every winding trail and ancient tree, knew every cave and stream. What had begun as an early morning chore, collecting the edible mushrooms that her father had patiently taught her to identify, soon became her favorite pastime. She loved to escape the village, to walk along the edges of fields, cross the railroad tracks, and follow the rutted wagon trails until they tapered into narrow wooded paths. It was her time alone. Time to let her thoughts roam free. She couldn't count the number of times she'd climbed to the 13th century cathedral ruins in the heart of the forest, to daydream in the protected nest of soft grass formed by its three ancient crumbling walls. The flying buttresses lent no support, and the cathedral windows were empty now, serving as nothing more than stone frames for evergreen boughs milky skies or twinkling stars cradled in the white sickle of a quarter moon. But she often stood where she estimated the altar would have been, trying to imagine the lives of those who had prayed and married and cried beneath the church's soaring arches, knights in shining armor and priests with long beards, baronesses roped in jewels, and ladies-in-waiting trailing behind. Her favorite time to hike to the highest point of the hill was early sunrise in the summer, when the dew extracted earthy scents from the soil and the air filled with the fragrance of pine. She loved the first hushed day of winter, too, when the world had settled into a slumber and newly fallen snow sugar-coated the sheared yellow wheat fields and the gray, bare branches of trees. She was at home here, deep within the high-skirted evergreens, where the sunlight barely broke through to the musty forest floor, while Isaac was at home in a gabled mansion on the other side of town, where iron gates were flanked by trimmed hedges and mammoth doors stood beneath ancient archways carved with stone gargoyles and medieval saints. Well, she said, what would Louisa Freiburg think of you being here? I don't know what she would think, he said, falling in beside her, and I don't care. If she'd known he was going to show up at her family's house on Schellegasse-Strasse that morning— waiting in silence on the stone steps behind her until she closed the oversized wrought iron latch on her front door, she would have worn her Sunday coat, not the tan wool overcoat that hung down to her ankles. It was thick and warm, a Christmas present from her beloved Oma, but its stiff collar and frayed pockets did little to hide the fact that in its former life it had been a carriage blanket. Now as she led Isaac through the forest and down the hill toward the apple and pear orchards, She kept touching the coat's buttons, running her fingers along its overlapped front to make sure it concealed the old play clothes she had on underneath. The gathered arms of her childhood dress were too short, the stitchless hem too high, the unbuttoned bust too tight, and the navy gingham too childish. Her leggings, held up by straps buttoned to her undershirt, were gray and nappy, covered by hundreds of pills and snags from catching on bushes and ragged bark but it was what she always wore to hike, because before today, she'd always come alone. 
In this outfit, she didn't need to worry about ruining her clothes when she knelt in the dirt to pick wild mushrooms from beneath a damp fern or had to crawl on the ground to gather beech nuts for cooking oil. Like those of everyone else in her family, nearly all her clothes were reconstructed from printed cotton sheets or hand-me-downs, and until she'd started working for the Bowermans, she'd thought nothing of it. The majority of girls and women in her village dressed as she did, in worn dresses and skirts, starched aprons with mended pockets and high lace-up shoes. But now, when she went to her afternoon job at Isaac's house, she always wore one of her two Sunday dresses. They were the best she owned, bartered for with brown eggs and goat's milk at the local clothing shop. This upset Muti, her mother's name was Rose, who'd been working full-time at the Bowermans for the past ten years. The dresses were for church, not for dishes, washing clothes, and polishing silver. But Christine wore them anyway, ignoring Muti's hard look when she walked into the Bowerman's beige-tiled kitchen. Sometimes...